welcome to the Pathway Podcast. My name is Sam Speck, and I am the pastor at Pathway Community Church here in Elmhurst, Illinois. I just wanted to welcome you to today's sermon, and my sincere prayer is that this sermon is a blessing and an encouragement to you today, and will be uplifting for your faith and for your walk with Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoy, and please don't hesitate to let us know if there's any way that we can be of service to you. Thank you very much. Enjoy the podcast. Does anybody else, anybody else in here like me, are they a uh, sucker for a good cooking show? Anybody else like a good cooking show? Okay, all right, a few hands in here, okay. Uh, I grew up, uh, my mom and I, when we were, when I was kind of middle school, high school, uh, that was one of the ways we bonded. My dad and I watched sports together. My mom and I watched cooking shows. So Chopped was our favorite when we were growing up. Okay, I got another Chopped fan over here. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. We got a few Chopped fans in the crowd. Um, but I haven't lost that over the years. Um, it's not still my go-to, but a couple years ago, I can't remember exactly when, but Holland and I found this show on Netflix called The Great British Bake Off. Has anyone ever heard of that show before? Okay. All right. We got a few. Okay. So it's you know, I think it's mostly charming because it's set in Britain. Like, they're a lot nicer than us. There's, like, beautiful, you know, greenery and fields. And they set up this tent in the middle of this beautiful field with this big castle behind it. And it's just, it's cool. And they bring in this show, if you've never seen it before, brings in 12 of the best amateur bakers from across the U.K. and gives them the opportunity to bake in front of, like, celebrity judges and compete to be the best amateur baker in Britain. It's, it's such a wholesome show because they don't even win money. It's not like, you know, it's not like America's Got Talent where you're like, oh, you get a Vegas show after this. It's like, nope, you just get this cute little bouquet of flowers and a tiny trophy and you're the best amateur baker. That's it. That's all it is. And so they bring in all these chefs and it's just, there's something about it. I don't know. It just hooks Holland and I in every time. Maybe it's because we love sweets and baked goods. I don't know. But it's just, these, these people are so talented. It's crazy. But the thing that stresses me out the most is that they have three challenges every week. And two of them, they get to practice at home and prepare for and get to kind of, kind of think about ahead of time. And then they have one called the technical challenge where they put all the bakers there and they, they put all the ingredients on their tables and they cover it with a big cloth so they can't see what's under it. And then the judges tell them, okay, you're gonna make us this. And that's the first time they're hearing about it. And maybe they've heard of it before, maybe they haven't, but they've gotta figure out how to bake it. And as the weeks go on, at the beginning, they kind of give them a, a big list of instructions on how to do it, and they kind of get a, a, pretty, a pretty specific recipe to follow. But as the weeks get down, and as it's like, okay, there's five contestants left or four contestants left, then the, the, you know, the things get weirder and the ingredient list gets smaller. And so I remember one of them, you, know, you get to the end of the week, and, and the guy turned around, and he's like, look what, look what this says. What do I do with this? And like, he pulls off, and it's the ingredients, and all it says is it tells them what the dish is, and it gives them the list of ingredients. And the first step on there just says, make a Genoese sponge. That's it. If you gave me a piece of paper and ingredients and a sheet that said, make a Genoese sponge, and you said, hey, I'll be back in three hours to check on your progress, you could come back in three weeks. I don't care. I would have no clue what to do, okay? Like, is it eggs? Is it egg whites? Is it yolks? I don't know. Like, do I whisk it? Do I beat it? But these people, they just look at that, and they're like, oh, yeah, I've made that you know, 70 times, you know, they just know what to do, you know, but they, they, but some of them, some of them do, I should say, some of them, it's pretty much a disaster, but that's okay, that's all right, they're learning, they're learning, it's a process, but I think sometimes we, 
in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way within our, our culture, especially within our Christian culture. What we're going to talk about this morning for our fourth week in our study is I want to talk to you about something we've been, Nathaniel and I, uh, just I'm so thankful for his heart because it's so linked up with what we're going to be talking about this morning because we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline, the spiritual habit of prayer. And I give that example from the Great British Bake Off because I think there are times that we have within our church even, we look at people and we see people and sometimes we take for granted this idea of prayer. And if I were to go to somebody and say, hey, could you pray for this or could you pray for that or could you pray in general? And we have certain Christians who would look and just be like, I, it's like they got that instruction sheet and they're like, okay, but what do I do? What do I say? What do I, how long do I go? What do I, what are the words? What are the right things? What if I mess up? What if I don't say the right things? What if I get nervous? What if I forget? And we make it into this thing where it turns into something where all of a sudden prayer, which should be an integral part of every one of our lives as Christians, has become this line on a sheet where we just stare at it and we don't do it because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to proceed. We don't know what to do next. And I'm not even faulting if that's you or if that's uh, you know, someone you come into contact with. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm not faulting you. I think even sometimes that can be the fault of us as, as people who've maybe been Christians for a while is that have we done a good job at teaching people how to pray? Because it is. It's something that, as we're going to see today, even Jesus' disciples need to, needed to ask Jesus, how do we pray? How do we do this? And sometimes we take that for granted. Sometimes we take for granted the things that are, should be just such an integral part of our Christian lives. But this morning, the big point I want to make with us today is if you want to know why and how to pray, look to Jesus. If you want to know why and how to pray, look to Jesus. So let's look together at the life of Jesus and start looking at what Jesus says about why we need to pray, why we need to pray. I would, I would hypothesize for us this morning that Jesus made clear for us why we need to pray by the way that he lived his life, by the way that he lived his life. I thought about this week, I'm just gonna say this this morning. If Jesus Christ, the perfect, the most, the only perfect human being who ever lived, the God-man himself felt the necessity to pray early and often and in any type of situation, then why don't I feel that same need? Because if Jesus felt and realized the necessity for prayer in his life, then you and I should be feeling that same necessity as well. If he needed it, then I, I sure, sure need it. I definitely need it. If Jesus Christ needed it, I definitely do. And I, I, I can see even in this Gus situation and in some of the other situations in my life that I've found myself in, don't you notice how prayer seems to even be built into the hearts of us as human beings? Because even those, what I've found and what I've, I've learned just by following along with Mark's posts is that 
people in his life who wouldn't even claim to be Christians have told him that they're praying. And I've had people in my life before who've come, who know I'm a Christian, who've come to me, who I know don't love Jesus, who I know don't go to church, who I know how nothing, and maybe some of you have experienced this before, who, ha who something difficult happens in their lives or something comes along that they can't control and they don't know how to fix. And what do they do? They ask for prayer. Because as God's creations, he's built that into the heart of us, is that we need to be praying that even those who don't claim to know the name of Jesus Christ, who don't claim, realize that when they, they get to a certain point where things in their life are so overwhelming or there's a difficulty they can't fix, they realize the only thing they can turn to is prayer. That's, I think, at the heart of us as people. So if you look at the life of Jesus, how did he, how did he model this? How did he model the importance of prayer? I would say there's a few things that he did. On the, on the screen there, you'll see one of the things. He got away to pray. Jesus got away to pray. He would take time to get away by himself and go and pray. Just between him and his heavenly father. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 14. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, it says in Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Jesus knew that in order to do the things that he needed to do in his life, in his ministry, in his calling, that he needed to get away to pray, to be with God, to be with his heavenly father. He knew that those times were important, so he, he built those into his life. He built those moments into his life where he would get away in quiet and pray. Do we take moments, do we build moments into our lives where we get away from the hustle and bustle? We get away from the noise and all the things happening around us and we get time to pray. For some of us, maybe that's easier than others. For some of us, maybe there's a lot more quiet time in our life than others. But all of us, Jesus, who was surrounded by people who talks about early in his ministry, he could barely go into the cities anymore because the people would just overwhelm him. He still built times to get away to pray because that was important to him. The second thing, he prayed with people. Throughout his ministry, it wasn't just that he would heal and that he would cast out demons and that he would take care of people or feed them it was that he would pray with them too. My favorite, my favorite example of this is from Matthew 19 when it says, then some children were brought to him so that he would lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, leave the children alone and do not forbid them to come to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And laying hands on them, he departed from there. I love that. I love that uh, the favorite, one of my favorite, you know, some of the favorite things about my Savior is that he welcomed the little children to him. And so when they brought them for prayer, you know, the disciples in their minds is, for some reason, that's not important enough or don't bother Jesus with that. And he's saying, no, 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 I need to do this. Let the little children come. I want to pray for them. I want to pray. That was a big part of his ministry, not just the healing, not just the, but taking time to pray with the people. Not just only that, he had to pray at times when driving out certain demons. There were certain miracles and healings that Jesus would do where he would pray beforehand. I think of when before raising Lazarus from the dead, right? You know, he, he takes time to pray to his heavenly father. He actually says, not that, not that I need this, but for the people standing around here, I pray this prayer. And then there's this moment in Mark chapter 9, which we read about in our Bible reading plan. It says, 
when he came into the house, the disciples began asking him privately, why is it that we cannot cast out this demon? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out except by prayer. There are certain things where there are you know, big moments, big circumstances where Jesus says, we, we need prayer to do this. It's not just enough to, to, you need to take time to pray. That's important. It took prayer to do that. He prayed with his disciples. Jesus didn't just always get away from them to pray alone. He took them with him. He would pray with his closest friends around him. He saw the importance of praying with his disciples. This one in Luke chapter 9, it says, About eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. That was right before the moment of transfiguration where he showed them his true glory. He took them up on the mountain to pray with them because he wanted to model and show to his disciples the importance of prayer. And then lastly, I love how Jesus even prays in difficult moments and before big decisions. I think this is the one we can probably relate the most with, and even Jesus, the perfect God-man, he even practiced this in his life, in the big, difficult moments. The one I think of most is um, one when he, before he chose his disciples, in Luke chapter 6, it says, Now it was time. He went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer with God. And when the day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he named as apostles. So before he chose the 12 men that were going to go and do ministry with him over the next few years, he took the time and spent all night praying with his heavenly Father. And then, the night before he's going to go and die on the cross for us, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says in Matthew 26, he went a little, a little way beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup fat pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew that in the difficult circumstances, he even needed to get away and pray with God. His whole life, Jesus shows us why it's important to pray. We have all these different reasons why it's important for us to live a life of prayer. So it is important, church. It's not just something that gets cast to the side. I love what, uh, if I can read this passage, this, this is said better than I can say it, I think. Um, this is Oswald Chambers. He's one of my, one of, uh, an author I really love and enjoy. Uh, he, a devotional I did a lot in high school and college my utmost for his highest. If you don't ever have a devotional to do, that's a great one. Um, but he says this about prayer, and I just want to read it to you because Oswald says it better. He says, The job of every Christian is to pray, plain and simple. Yet we want to do more than simply pray. We want to do something important for God. We want to be someone important for him. We want to build. We want to mobilize. We want to show our strength and exert our influence. Prayer seems like such a small thing to do, next to nothing at all, in fact. But that's not what Jesus said. To him, prayer is everything. It's a duty as well as a privilege, a right as well as a responsibility. We use prayer as a last resort. Jesus wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do. Jesus wants us to pray before we do anything at all. But most of us would rather spend our time doing something that will get immediate results. We don't want to wait for God to bring about the results in his good time because his idea of good time is seldom in sync with ours. And so we try to help God along. Many times we even try to answer our own prayers. We have the idea that more people will become Christians if we can make God look good to them. So we try to convince them that God's generosity by proving that he answers prayer 
If we can just help God spruce up his image a little, can we get more people on his side? And that's what he wants us to do, right? Wrong. He wants us to pray always and about everything during times of joy as well as sorrow. He wants us to talk to him, not about him. He wants us to talk to him about unbelievers before we talk to unbelievers about him. Prayer is our business, our only business. Prayer is our holy occupation, plain and simple. I just think that's an imperfect, a perfect encapsulation. Because even though I can tell you today, prayer is important, prayer matters. Jesus makes sure that it matters to us. Still, as human beings, I think Oswald says it great, there's something about our lives that, that would rather do something than take the time to pray. Or prayer doesn't seem like it's doing enough. I need to go and, and make this better for God. I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for him. I'm doing this to make this right or whatever. But it doesn't seem like prayer is enough sometimes. And so we take the importance away from it and try to put that importance onto ourselves instead. Church, we need to pray because it's important. And sometimes, almost every time, it is the most important thing we can do in any situation we find ourselves in. So then we say to ourselves, that begs the next question. We know why we pray then, but then how do we pray? How do we pray? And like I said, I think this is perfect because how often, <laughs> sometimes in the Bible, it's just great. It's just a, you, you have a straightforward question and you get an answer right back. And Jesus gives us the exact model of how we are supposed to pray. In Matthew 6, verses 5 to 13, if you're there, you can follow along. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father, and your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus gives us specific instructions on how to pray. He's giving them to the people there, and they're still relevant for us here today. They still matter for our prayer lives. The first couple things he says, he gives kind of these two qualifiers before he gets into the phrase that says, pray then like this. So kind of the, the first two things that he says is, is do not pray for praise. Do not pray so that people look at you and say, good job praying. He said that's how there are certain, don't pray like a hypocrite who go out and the only reason they pray is so that they can stand on the street corner and everybody can see them and look at them and be like, whoa, look how holy that guy is over there. Look how awesome that guy is. Do not pray for the praise of people. That's why he tells them, when you pray, go into a quiet place, go into secret and just be with God. Is he saying that praying out loud in front of people is wrong? No, of course not. He's saying when you pray, your heart should be only to talk to your heavenly father not to say the right things or, or get the amens or have people look at you and say, oh, wow, look at that guy. He's so good at praying. Look at her. She's, oh, she's so holy. She does such a great job at praying. It's not for the praise of people. 
And then he tells them, don't pray with worthless words. He says, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. I like to, to rephrase this sometimes and be like, hey, sometimes don't pray so long, okay? Has anyone ever found yourself in a situation? Okay, we can all be honest, right? We've all been in a prayer meeting or somewhere sometimes where you're like, just a quick check to the watch, like, how long has this been? Like, is this guy going to keep going or are we going to like, <laughs> are we getting out of here anytime soon, right? Okay, we've all been there, right? Because maybe we've been guilty of that sometimes. Maybe we're the one people are checking our watches on. I don't know. But what he's saying is, is prayer is, it's not about the length. It's not how you go on. It's not how you articulate your words and say, you can say all the right theological phrases and you can, you know, you can stay on, you know, it's just the most beautiful wordage you've ever heard. It's like poetry. It's like, that's, that's not the point. The point of it is not to sound so articulate and awesome and to carry on and on. He said, sometimes just get to the point. You, you don't be heard because of many words. Your father knows what you need. Sometimes short and sweet is okay and good. Don't do it just to show off how awesome and articulate you can be while praying, while, while heaping empty words that, that have no meaning and no value in what you're actually saying to the Lord. That's how Jesus qualifies these things. And so as we get into, then he gets down to say, and he says, pray then like this. And I want to go through some of these statements because, church, I want to challenge you. This prayer has been so important for my Christian walk. I can tell you there's sometimes that I go to pray, and I literally just pray this prayer word for word. Because sometimes I, I don't know. I don't know what to pray for, what to ask for in those moments. But I know Jesus told me you can pray like this. So it's not a cop-out. It's, it's not a less than to say, hey, I don't know what to pray or I don't know how to pray today. I'm just going to repeat what Jesus told me to say word for word. That's okay. And then oftentimes, you know what, I actually like to use this prayer as a model, and that's what I'm going to kind of explain to us today, as a model for how I think some of our, our, our prayers should be structured at times. And so I want to look at this kind of phrase by phrase. So I'll put the phrases up here on the screen for us. And I've kind of just reworded them a little bit. So the first one, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. For me, I like to call this, I'm acknowledging God and who he is. God is my Father. I get to acknowledge that right from the, the beginning of the prayer is that I have this, this relationship with God, that he views me as his child and I get to view him as my father. That's, that's, the, that's the basis for this relationship that I get to go into this. And it reminds me of the importance of what I'm doing because if this is my heavenly father and I am his child, what sort of relationship would I have with my father if I didn't spend time talking to him, Right? If you go to anybody in here and you were to ask them about their dad and you say, oh, I, I don't talk to him anymore. We don't speak. What would be your immediate first thought in your brain? There's something wrong there, right? There's a, whether it's on their end or their father's end, there's, some, there's something wrong with the relationship. So why would it be any different with our heavenly father? I, oh, I don't talk. I don't pray. I, I don't really, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't really do that. My diagnosis would be, well, there's something wrong then there in the relationship. And it's not on God's end, it's on ours. Our Father who art in heaven gets me in the right mindset of acknowledging my relationship with God. But then the second part, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is just another word for holy or set apart. Our God, he, he is our heavenly Father, but you know what he else he is? He is the holy, perfect, just God of the universe. All-powerful, all-knowing, almighty 
And so while he is our father, he is also a God to be revered and feared. And he is worthy of our praise. That's what it reminds me, is that my God is, wor is worthy of this prayer time. And I'm coming and I get to come because I'm a child of God, but also he is holy and he is wondrous and he is mighty. And I need to recognize that as I enter his presence. I don't come flippantly. I don't come just with any, any little things. And you can come with any little things. You don't just come with any sort of heart. You come knowing this is the God I'm praying to. The next phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like, for me, this is where I seek the will of God. Seek the will of God. Where I ask the Lord, God, what is your will for my life today? And help me to live in that will today. Help me to be obedient to your leadings. Holy Spirit, help me to be sensitive to hear and, and to follow your leadings today. I need to seek God and his will. Not my will, not what I want to do, not what I want to see accomplished, but God, what you want to see accomplished. I love that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because if you think about it, I stopped and thought about this this week, we are the only created thing on this earth that when God says, this is my will, will you do this, we're the only ones who sometimes take a moment to be like, well, I don't know. It's not what I want to do, you know. Like, you saw Jesus on the boat. The waters were raging around him. The seas were, he said, be still. What happens? Okay, 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 that's your will. We'll be calm. The angels in heaven, do this. Go take care of this. Yes, okay, Lord, we're doing it. To Sam Speck, Sam, will you share the God? I don't know. It's not really the best day for me, right, God? Like, I don't know. I know it's your will, but like next Tuesday would be better. I, I like don't really, I'm not feeling it today, not feeling comfortable. We're the only creatures, created beings, who feel comfortable when the will of God comes into our lives to say, I don't know, God, that might not work for me. Who have the kind of audacity to stand before the God of the universe. I want to say, no, Lord, your, your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. The way you give that command to say, yes, Lord, I want to live that out. Because, yeah, it may be hard, but I also know it's better for me than my will is for my life. It's better for me. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A hard one. Give us this day our daily bread. For me, this is asking for him to provide. I don't know about you, maybe there's, there's been some of you who at different points in your life this has literally meant, Lord, I need bread today. I need sustaining today. I know it's, it's felt that way for me before. But I, what it helps me to do is, is puts me in the understanding of the Lord is the one who provides for me. The Lord is the one who takes care of me. The Lord is the one who watches out for me and sustains me. The Lord is the one when my, when my bank account isn't where I want it to be. He's, it's, he's the one that's going to take care of me, and he's promised to do that. He's promised to take care of us. He is the one who's given us everything that we've had. Maybe it's been a while since you've had to worry about what's in your bank account or what you're going to pay for, how it's going to... Do you know that everything... The reason you have daily bread is because the Lord has given it to you, because the Lord takes care of you. And that's not just physically, but also spiritually. Lord, give me what I need for today because I feel dry or I feel burned out or I feel tired. Lord, give me just today my daily bread. Help me to rely on you today because you're my provider. And forgive us our debts as he has also forgiven our debtors, as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
This is where I ask for forgiveness and I ask for a heart to forgive as well. Every one of my prayer, I try to examine my heart before the Lord and say, God, is there anything in my life that I need to seek your forgiveness on? And yeah, pretty much every time there is. Something I can say, Lord, I need forgiveness for this or for that. Because Jesus Christ and his blood, it covers our sin, but oftentimes when there's sin in our lives, it keeps us from being with God the way we want to be, the way we should be. And it's already been forgiven. Jesus has covered it on the cross. All we need to do is come and ask for that forgiveness. Come and ask for that forgiveness before the Lord. And understanding the beautiful thing about seeking the forgiveness from God is understanding what we've been forgiven also helps us to forgive. It makes us forgiving people. When we, someone sins against us or something does something that hurts us, we're then more willing to say, well, God has forgiven me so much. How can I not then forgive this person over here? I want to have a, an attitude of asking for forgiveness before God and then being willing to forgive as well. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is for what I call strength against sin. Asking God to give me strength for that day to resist sin, to resist the devil, to resist the temptations of this world and my flesh and to walk with him in his holy way instead of what my desires are for. We need the Lord to keep our minds and hearts turned away from temptation, from the things of this world. Lord, give me strength to say no to sin and yes to you. Deliver us from that evil today. And I wanted to include, I usually pray this, this part. Some of it, it may be in some of your Bibles. Maybe some of you were wondering why I didn't read this part. Um, and it's included in a lot of the, the things about the Lord's Prayer. I'll only say this just to address it. It's the reason some, it's taken out in some Bibles is it's because it's based off of sometimes what's considered a, a less reliable manuscript. So some translators don't know if this phrase was added later or if Jesus actually spoke this. But I still think it, it matters and, and it has truth and it rings true with the rest of Scripture today. So I want to talk about it. Give glory to God, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I like to end my prayer reminding myself of what my life is supposed to be for, to be lived for the glory of God, to be lived so that people would see God in me and that he would receive the glory for the things that I do in the way that I live. This is Jesus, our Savior saying, pray in this way. Whether it's word for word or whether it's following along with some of the ideas, Jesus gives us this model of how to pray. We don't have any excuse for, I don't know what to say or how to, do. then go to this passage and just read it. But Jesus tells us how to pray. And prayer needs to be a part of our lives. I don't have time, this isn't even, a, this isn't even scratching the surface of the whole scope of what prayer really means in the life of a Christian. I could talk about how Jesus tells his disciples, watch and pray that you may not, not enter into temptation, that, that we need prayer in the moment to, to resist sin, that he tells them in Matthew 4 to pray for their enemies, that in Luke 2 he tells them to pray when we need more people to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's so many things we could continue to talk about because that's how much Jesus talked about prayer. 
That's how important he saw that it was for our lives. And if we want to be spiritually healthy Christians, church, we have to be praying. And prayer is so important that there should be no stigma, no, no sort of judgment over coming down and seeking prayer and asking for prayer from our brothers and sisters in Christ and seeking that from one another because it's so much a part of our lives and who we are that we should be willing just to go into that place at any point and any time because it's not a weakness. Asking for prayer is not a weakness. Seeking prayer is not a weakness. Jesus saw it the exact opposite way. It was the strength that he needed to live the life that he did, to die on the cross for us. So start thinking about prayer in the opposite way. Seeking prayer shows your strength, not your weakness. It shows your strength in the Lord. We need prayer in our lives, church, if we're going to be spiritually healthy Christians. I just want to close with some, with some practical steps I think maybe we could take this week when it comes to prayer. If there's an action to take, make prayer your first priority, not your last resort. I took that out of what Oswald Chambers said, and I thought it was so good. It should be our first priority, not our last resort. If you would try this week, if prayer is uncomfortable for you, if it's weird for you, if you don't know how to do it, just try praying the Lord's Prayer first thing in the morning. Make it the first thing you do with your day. If you feel really uncomfortable, just, just read it word for word out of the Bible. Your Lord, your Heavenly Father knows. He's not judging you. He's not saying that prayer is less than, okay? Just read it or try taking that, that kind of model that Jesus did and just putting it in your own words, right? Take some of the guide points from the sermon notes and just pray, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for strength to resist sin. I'm gonna pray for, for my daily bread. I'm gonna pray. Just, just take that and make it the first thing you do with your day. If there's a prayer to pray while we're talking about prayer and we talked about the Lord's Prayer, take some time to pray the Lord's Prayer this week. And if there's a praise to repeat, I love just saying thank you, Jesus, for modeling a life of prayer for us so that we can know how to live as a people of prayer. Jesus laid it out for us, church. He showed us the way. He modeled it for us. He is our perfect model. And that's a beautiful thing because we can take that. Like, that's, that's the way that I learned how to pray is, one, looking at the Bible and looking at Jesus. But even more than that, I watched my mom and my dad pray. They modeled prayer. So if you didn't have that, you have a heavenly father who perfectly modeled prayer for us. Jesus perfectly modeled prayer life for us. So we can follow that. And if your parents now, maybe, maybe you learned how to pray because of your parents, or now it's your opportunity to model that prayer life to your kids or your grandkids, for them to see a praying person in you to see, oh, grandma and grandpa are Christians and look, look how much they pray and look how important prayer is to them. Look at mom and dad, they, they're Christians and look, we don't just pray, you know, our prayer life is not just, thank you, Jesus, for this food, amen. It's, no, prayer is the most important thing in my life and I need it and I crave it. C.S. Lewis said this, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Pathway Podcast. 
If you did enjoy this episode, would you do us a favor and follow our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and please leave a review so we can know how we're doing. We would love to serve you in any way we can, and if you'd like more information about Pathway Community Church, you can visit our website, pathwaycommunity-elmhurst.org. We hope to hear from you. We love you guys. See you next time.